everybody, this is Brother Frank, and welcome to another episode of The Remnant Call. I'm excited. Uh, tonight we have a special guest, Dr. Michael Lake, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about him if you don't know who he is here in a moment. But I just wanted to say thank you all for concern where I was last week. Uh, I had to work last Thursday evening, and, um, you know, we did the 10 days and just praise God for that solemn assembly, a time of repentance, and just what wonderful um, – blessings that had come out of of that time that we had had together and um just still thinking about the testimonies that people had of feeling unloved and now feeling loved um family being uh, renewed relationships um god just changing hearts and and i'm so thankful for the power that god has and and us all we did was simply humble ourselves and seek our God and the power of prayer and fasting. Uh, what a forgotten art that so many people have neglected uh, a thing that our Lord and savior Yeshua Jesus said that there'll come a day when the bridegroom shall be taken away and then they shall fast. And folks, we are living in that time right now when we as prayer and fasting and seeking his face, it's like 101 of Christianity and yet so often missed. And for those of you who were able to participate, you got to see the power of what God does when he sees his children humble themselves. It remind me in Ezekiel 33 when the Lord was calling out a very severe warning to the watchmen of, of his job and warning the people. But it was later in the book of Ezekiel when he was talking about the reason for this intensity in Ezekiel chapter 33 towards the end of the chapter was because God desired to save the people. And that if the wicked man was to turn from his wicked ways, God would forget the things that he would done. And and even if the righteous, though, they may have done right, they turn also that – their righteousness wouldn't be remembered anymore. And and they were upset because they were saying the way of the Lord is not fair because of the agreements that they had way back in the beginning in God's commandments and his visiting the Father on the iniquity of the Father of the sons. But then he says that he can forgive anybody no matter where they're at. And so they say the way of the Lord is not fair. Well, you know, folks, it is fair. Because God can choose to forgive whoever he wants, whenever he wants. And the good news is that he desires to forgive and to save, not to condemn. It's not the Lord's will that any should perish, but that all would come under repentance. And so when I was reading that the other week, and and it just began to sink in, that the mercies of God are so incredible. And yet there are so many people that are missing out in this hour. And I'm telling you, folks, God has a plan for each one of us. We are all called to be priests and ministers in his kingdom. And I'll tell you tonight, we're going to share a little bit about that with Dr. Michael Lake in his new book. But I thank God for all of you who have been a part of the Remnant Call. And I hope that you know one thing about this program above anything else, that we desire that you know God, you know Jesus better than you have ever known him before. That this isn't just another program warning about the last days, simply spouting out facts, but this is a program who are pointing, people are pointing a light to the great light. Jesus, Yeshua, to our heavenly father, Yahweh, and pointing people to him so that when they're done listening to these episodes, they know the only one to turn to. And folks, I'm telling you right now, at the end of that program, that solemn assembly, we made a commitment for those of you. And if you weren't there listening then, you can make it now. We made that commitment to spend that hour every day in the morning with the Lord. And folks, I'll tell you, there's been a few times the enemy's gotten me down. I haven't been able to get that full hour in, but you know what? I fight back. I pray, God, forgive me, bring me back, and I get back in there, and I keep that. And I'll tell you what, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. 
because I know I've been through the times where I've spent that time with the Lord and seen things change. But the but Babylon gets in and that fog and the and the, the fog of Babylon and the devil's lullaby begins to be sung and we start to get lazy and we put that time off. But I tell you, folks, God begins to bless when we pray and we read his word. And I want to encourage you. If you fall off the bandwagon, get back on. If you get knocked down, get back up. Start on your knees and watch what God will do. I guarantee you, it will change your life. Well, with that, I'm going to bring on our guest tonight, Dr. Michael Lake. If you don't know who he is, he has the website KingdomIntelligenceBriefing.com. I've had the pleasure to meet Dr. Lake. He's an amazing man. He's the senior pastor of the Biblical Life Assembly. He is also the chancellor and founder of the Biblical Life College and Seminary and serves as an educational consultant for various Christian organizations around the world. Dr. Lake has also written many books, and we want to talk later on tonight about a newer book that he has released. And folks, I'm telling you, it is important to this hour, the kingdom priesthood. And folks, if you don't understand the role of the priest in the New Testament, it is biblical. We've been called to it, and God has a role for us to serve. And it is so important these last days because priests are ministers. And the Lord is calling us in the middle of this hour to minister. So with that, I'm going to bring on our guest, Dr. Lake. Are you here with us? I am, brother. It's great to be with you tonight. God bless you. Thank you so much. I always enjoy having you on my show because, uh, Dr. Lake, uh, I believe you have a heart for the Lord. And um, you don't mix mince words. You tell it how it is. and uh, But you have some depth, and I appreciate that. It's not just superficial. It comes from a time of study and prayer and seeking the Lord. And Dr. Lake, I'm going to ask, we're just going to open up with a word of prayer. Would you mind praying over this show tonight? Well, Father, I ask that you would give us an anointing uh, in our lives, Father, a fresh anointing that would uh, help us begin to move into our priesthood, to learn how to handle the fire of God. And Father, in the midst of all this too, we we just ask for a breaking, Father, a breaking of self, because only when the self is broken can the anointing of Messiah begin to flow. Amen. And Father, we need we need men and women that know their priesthood in this hour. We need men and women that know how to how to use the fire of God and its very purpose in the earth, and know how to carry the name of God with power and dignity. Father, we need that remnant army to begin raising up in the power that we see demonstrated in the book of Acts. And if, Father, if there was ever a time for you to pour out your spirit, it is now. If there was ever a time to raise up a spirit-filled army that is walking for their king and walking in the ways of God and rejecting Mystery Babylon, Father, it is now. And, Father, we just cry out to heaven for that anointing and, Father, activation of the remnant wherever they are in the world. And, Father, we just thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Dr. Lake. Well, Dr. Lake, I really want to, I think your book is so important to this hour, but leading up to this topic tonight of, of the kingdom priesthood, there is a, we're running through a problem right now. And I was in my morning devotion and I've heard it before. I've said it before. I believe we've been in it for quite a while. But the word I believe is so true right now in Amos chapter 8, verse 11 uh, and 12. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. And they they shall wander from sea to sea and from north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. You know, Dr. Lake, I, I, I feel like we are living such in the midst of those two verses right now. And I'm concerned for the hour that we are in because it's like the word of the Lord. It's just not being preached anymore. What are your feelings on that? You know, I, you know, it's strange how you, you imagine things when you read things like that or the great falling away. And so you imagine these churches that are desolate and collecting dust and cobwebs. And we never thought about uh, fancy 
mega churches or churches that have uh, the latest technologies and maybe even have a Starbucks built into them and all these different things. And at the same time, it's fulfilling God's word that they fell away. But that doesn't mean that those that fall, fell away didn't create their own churches or that or that we would have churches on every corner, but uh, they're preaching everything but the word of God. They they give platitudes or they give theological sound bites that are like cisterns, the word says, that, that has no water, that cannot hold water. And uh, one of the things, you know, with, with our ministry, and this, this simply for the grace of God, brother, I, I hear from people all over the world weekly. And, you know, some of them are in their 70s and 80s, and I, I've heard them say, you know, I've been – listening to you and Mary on, you know, uh, the Kingdom Intelligence uh, Briefing podcast or watching you on Biblical Life TV. And uh, they said, you know, I've learned more in three years about the Word of God than I have in the last 60 in the church. Well, that's, uh, wow. And and I can believe that. Um, I, I was sharing with you earlier before the program um, how when I've traveled around and ch- speaking in different churches, whether on a Saturday or a Sunday, um, I have before just shared my heart and, and, and an unadulterated word. And the, the response that I get, and I've realized it's not because I'm preaching some amazing word. It's because people are so hungry and they're starving, and they haven't heard somebody come and tell it to them straight in so long. It's like they got their first meal after sitting in a prison camp for 10 years, and the look on their face is unbelievable. Don't you think that's actually what we read into the New Testament when the people say, you know, Jesus is teaching with authority, not like the Pharisees? Um I wonder if it's because he was delivering the word and the word that be, could be lived and that was the way that God meant for it to be delivered and that it was so refreshing uh, compared to the mental games or the platitudes or the uh, just warm fuzzies or, you know, that, that people were, were doing and, and calling that, you know, having church. Um, you know, and I, I've got some colleagues that I, I know that, that teach the word in depth. But, you know, I've been I've been teaching aspirants of the gospel ministry now for uh, almost 40 years. And I'm kind of shifting it. You know, I'm, I'm kind of done with that. I'm out pointing to the rim that I don't care if they're in the pew and the pulpit. It doesn't matter to me. But I've, I've had them deliver theological sound bites, and they really sound great. And, I mean, they're, they're as slick as a whistle. You know, all of us have seen them on, on Christian TV or heard them on Christian radio or heard them in our local churches. Now, I mean, man, they sound so good, but they're just not theologically accurate, and nobody can defend them. In fact, what I have found out, a lot of the preachers that that preach them can't even define them. And that, you know, that that's not that's not going to hold up in an hour of need. And I think that's what people are beginning to realize is that when the time gets, when the times get dark and there's challenges and stuff, we need the meat of the word to strengthen us so that we can stand under the load. And people are finding that this feel good type of Christianity uh, is like kids that are living constantly on sugar. When it's time for them to exert and do labor, they have no strength And that's the way so much of the church is today. But I think God is raising up so many people in the pew that are saying, I want more. That either it's going to force a change in the pulpit or it's going to cause God to raise up new pulpits that will teach them the word of God with depth and conviction. Amen. And, uh, you know, I I feel sadly enough that – this same problem that we talk about so easily in in modern day churches, um, Doctor Lake, I feel like this is a, also a problem in the so called Watchman community. Um, there's a lot of flailing of arms, warning of the hour, but there's no meat. There's no deliverance. There's no how do I get free? And, and I feel like it's yes, there's a word of warning, but it's so superficial, it leaves people destroyed. Oh, and one—I think I guess one of the things that just really um, 
concerns me. And, you know, I, I teach on end-time prophecy. My very first book was on end-time prophecy and what the Luciferian elite have done over the last millennia or two or even longer. Uh, but we delivered in such a way, okay, end-time prophecy is, you know, is, is being fulfilled before our very eyes. Ain't nothing you can do about it. Just get ready to die. Just, just fold up your arms and give up. That's not biblically what we're told to do. We're told to occupy until Jesus returns. And so the closer we are to his coming back, man, the harder we should be working. And so, okay, this is where we are prophetically. Now give me solutions and give me the antidote to mystery Babylon so that I can get free and roll up my sleeves and begin really honoring my king because if there was ever a generation that was supposed to make a difference in the earth and turn the tide of history and win the greatest harvest that the world has ever seen, it's now. But we're not getting that. Amen. Praise God. You're right. Pastor, we are. God is calling us to be more than just pew warmers and uh, YouTube watchers. He is calling us to save lives through the preaching of the gospel. And the Great Commission, as far as I've checked, the Bible has not changed. It is still the Great Commission. And and I I tell you, folks, if you ever want to experience God, and I mean experience the Lord, in a way you've never experienced, maybe. In your life, lead somebody to Jesus. Watch them go down in the waters of baptism. Be there. Take them down. There, Dr. Lake, is there a greater feeling in this world than watching somebody give their life to Jesus? I don't know of one that's better as a believer. No, it's, it's, it's the ultimate. And the second to that is really teaching them the word and, and seeing it to where it transforms their thinking, their life, every aspect of it, and see them to begin to really flourish in the kingdom. Not in our churchianity, but really in the kingdom. I mean, both those things are just absolute highs for me. It's 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 what keeps me going. It's what makes my day. Uh, and, you know, uh, especially if you're in ministry, a lot of times you work a lot of long hours. And, uh, man, it's, it, it's better than caffeine and coffee. It, it, it'll, it'll keep you going uh, when everything in your flesh says, I'm tired, I want to go lay down somewhere. And you start thinking of those that are hungry that want to go on, and, and you, you think of the ones that you have seen them either give their life to Jesus, and Jesus has delivered them from alcohol and, and uh, drug addiction or just a horrible life, and you begin to see joy in their eyes and you begin to see hope in their families and you begin to see God begin turning things around from them. And, 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 you know, when you walk in the kingdom, it'll, it'll turn finances and everything else around. Uh, but you know, finances aren't the focus. It's, it's glorifying God and walking with Jesus. And you begin seeing that. And it, uh, it just so encourages you. And uh, if, if, if you've never done that, if you've never, just open up the word and begin explaining it to somebody and you start seeing the lights come on and you start seeing, okay, that's what it means to walk in the kingdom. And you start seeing them implementing the word of God. And anytime you truly implement the word, you will get results, the results that the word of God promises and nothing is more rewarding than that. Amen, because you cannot have conversion without di- discipleship, folks, and that's part two. <laughs> that, that's where we we work with people and teach them the ways uh, by God's grace and his word and through the power of his spirit. And, and that's what that's you're right, uh, Dr. Lake. That is the second part uh, yeah. of this. It's just you don't bring them in and say, well, here you go. We bring somebody to the Lord and then we disciple and uh, what's the second part of the Great Commission? You know, you teach them to do everything that I've taught you. And, uh, you know, the way that the church has done where it's just all evangelistic oriented, you know, I think this is part of the problem that has gotten us here in, in past decades is we rack them, pack them and stack them. But no one ever discipled them. Mm. And because of that. With each generation, the word gets weaker and the word gets weaker and the word gets weaker. 
And uh, when you this, you know, I've always brought up Spurgeon because you know he's he's the prince of preachers, and I've had people get mad at me. You know, how dare you quote a Calvinist? Well, you know, he was uh, for an, an expositional preacher. He was extraordinary. He is known as the prince of preachers, and, and yeah, I I disagree with with uh, his Calvinism because I tend to be more Arminianistic. But uh, in his day, if a minister couldn't preach the word of God for at least two hours and in depth, not sad stories for two hours, but I mean uh, teaching the word of God for at least two hours, he was considered ill-prepared and not worthy to be in ministry. Mm. Uh, In fact, in in his uh, lectures to my students, Uh, He actually called them worldwide to prayer because he said, God has shown me that there will come a day that the body of Christ will not tolerate a decent message of two hours or more. Wow. Yeah, I remember, not to get on a side note, but I remember the first time I was in Africa. And uh, I was the very first time I went, I didn't believe I was going to be preaching. I thought I was on a mission trip to help build stuff. Well, the preacher got sick and they called me to speak. And uh, the first sermon I did was a classic 30 minutes. And, uh, well, I can just tell you right now, if you walk a couple of hours to hear somebody in Africa, don't waste their time with 30 minutes of preaching. Uh-uh. They they do not want to hear that. So I learned, okay, well, here they want to actually hear you share the very word of God with them. And so I learned uh, stop the 30-minute sermons. And uh, so anyways, praise God for that. That was uh, my first experience in Africa. Yeah, they, uh, but, they will start early in the morning, and they may let you. They they'll, they'll keep you going after the sun goes down, man. Amen. And they're excited to hear the word. Uh, that's the greatest thing about it. I, I if I hope to get back to Africa, you know, depending on what happens in the future. But uh, I'm looking forward to my. Uh, it'll be my seventh trip, and uh, I'll tell you, there's nothing like being around people, folks, that are hungry for the gospel. Uh, it's unbelievable when you preach and the people are just uh, can't wait to give their lives to Jesus. It's it's so amazing. And I believe that will come here. Uh, but unfortunately, it will come out of hardship and um, which they've already experienced over there. Um, and and, and uh, so anyways, but uh, I want to get into your book. But before we do, and, and this will probably be something you may want to share with more later. But we talked about the famine. But the truth is, we need revival, Dr. Lake, and uh, I think we forgot what revival was actually like. Oh, I don't even know if we understand it anymore in the United States. No, we don't. We have uh, we have grandized it. We have, you know, uh, the old evangelistic thing is you blow in, blow up, and blow out, you know. Uh Really, true revival is a is a breaking of self. And in fact, in the priesthood, you see that in the outer court ministry. That it's all these things that that we we humble ourselves before God. The reason we need revival is because we have messed up and we have let the altar of God grow cold, and we have not been faithful with the fire of God. And so, man, we, we got to humble ourselves and there has to be a brokenness that comes because only in the brokenness, you know, it's like, it's like Elijah, uh, when he was facing the prophets of Baal, uh, he had to set the altar in order. And that, which means for us that we've got to realize that our altar is in disarray. In fact, in the outer court, everything, it's the brazen altar it's the brazen labor because that brass represents the judgment of god and when we feel the judgment is we we were broken and when in that brokenness the fire of god can come to consume that which has held us back and held us down and 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 has squashed and uh the uh, the potential that we had in the kingdom of God and the weight of the world gets burned off of us. And for many, you know, I, I embrace the judgment of God because I found out that if I embrace that kind of fire, I find out that I'm more like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that uh, the only thing that burns is everything that was holding me back so that I could be free to serve my king. Yes, Amen. And that—that's really what revival is about. We—we we got too worldly, 
and we, we let ease creep in and we didn't even know what to do with the fire of God. You know, and that I come from, you know, I, I was raised Baptist, got involved in the charismatic movement. Uh, the fire of God is not so that people can run around in circles and dance on the back of pews. The fire of God in the outer court is to consume carnality. Amen. And and as you get closer to the inner court, folks, the the crowd gets and into the holy place, the crowd gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. Do you know why? You have to do all the outer court work before the fire catches in the other places. Mm. God, you know, God, God, you know, God is not like modern education. He will not let you get out, go into first grade if you can't pass kindergarten. And he will let you sit there for 40 years. Isn't that but, the truth? But when the, when the proper work is done in the outer court, then the fire of God moves into the holy place and he allows you to move in with it. And Frank, you know, one of the things that, that I'm seeing is there a lot of people that say they're speaking prophetically and they have all this revelation from God and all this stuff. And the truth is they're messing with strange fire because they have never done the outer court work. In fact, their ministries say that because of grace, we don't have to. And they're, they're bringing uh, strange fire into the altar of God, calling it revelation. I have caught them, uh, brother, uh, quoting Kabbalah. I have caught them quoting uh, morals and dogma. <laughs> oh my, Freemasonry! I, I have I have had them say they have these revelation, and if you know anything about the Word of God and the character of God, you know that what they're saying does not line up with his revealed character in the word. But everybody's going, ooh, ah, this is fresh. And I'm thinking, yes, it is. It is fresh sewage. Because they have not done the outer court work in their lives. Mm. Amen. And I think that's, and I don't want to jump ahead into your book, but I think that's the problem, uh, doctor, is that, People want the want to go to the holy place, but they want to skip past the altar, uh, the were in the in the laver, and, and the table of showbread, and the menorah, and all those things that uh, mean so much. They want to just jump right in, and um, they can't go there. No, they cannot. Yeah, you know the only thing, and of course this is skipping because you know one of the things we need to realize, guys. When the Apostle Paul said that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, what he was saying is that when you look at the Mishkan of Moses, the tabernacle of Moses, you see us. In fact, you know, the, the, the original tabernacle, not the one Solomon built, but the one that God originally gave to Moses. He said he made it after a pattern. And I, I mean, I dig out in the book of Hebrews and I find out that uh, the word says that God pitched the tabernacle in heaven. It's not made of stone. He pitched it, and Moses, when he was doing his, so it's a tent in heaven. And so, you know, Moses made it just as close as what he saw in heaven. And what's, what's awesome about it is it was covered with badger skin. And I look at that, and I'm thinking, you know, if God can use badger skin, he can use my flesh, you know. And it was mobile because God wanted to move with us. And so we are that tabernacle and all the furniture of that tabernacle is built on the inside of us. Mm. Now for most of the body, because we have never been taught our priesthood, it all lays dormant. It all lays cold. You cannot function in a, the tabernacle will not function without fire. Mm. Amen. Well, let's okay. I, I I feel like we've already jumped right in the center. So uh, let's get into this because I I think we're now. I mean, this is truly uh, something that's near and dear to my heart, and and that is the kingdom, the priesthood, uh, the priesthood of all believers, um, which is a forgotten concept. How did this book come to be? Well, God had been dealing with me for quite a while, and you know, sometimes God has you on a trajectory that you don't know you're on a trajectory. <laughs> 
until you find yourself well into it because each book builds on the other. And so it's okay. The first book, let's figure out what the enemy's doing. Second book, two things with the Shirith imperative. Learn how to cut off the enemy's supply line. What, what supplies the enemy, how to cut it off, and how to return to some basic spiritual disciplines. Because let me tell you something, the enemy, the ones that uh, do the spirit cooking and the Luciferian elite and all these people, they are dead serious about the disciplines of their priesthood. Okay? I mean, they, they will consecrate their lives, their fortunes, and everything to it, and one generation to another. Many times they have plans that they have been given from the enemy that may take them 10 generations to accomplish, and they dedicate all their wealth and, all, and everything they have to pass it from generation to generation to generation to fulfill their priesthood. And then at the same time, they purposely made sure that we're not taught ours. And I mean, they, they've been they've been working on this for several centuries, and so it, it's it's time for us to get dead serious to uh, to uh, to return to basic spiritual disciplines and to learn our priesthood. And when we learn our priesthood, with the failure of most of the churches, it looks to Rome. Why are we looking to Rome when the Word of God points to Jerusalem? And you be, you begin studying some things. And, you know, one of the things, and, and th this is kind of uh, how the Holy Spirit works with me. I love research. And I was going to tackle gap theory in this book, you know. And so, okay, let's get into, you know, God told Adam and Eve to replenish the earth. Well, replenishment, one time it had to be plenished, okay. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help use that to solve the debate over gap theory. And so I, I, and I literally have every lexicon in the English language and logos. And so, man, I'm, I'm swimming deep in this thing, but what I find, it, it, it's Malay in, in Hebrew. It's, it's, when you look at it in English, it looks like it's spelled male, but it's Malay. And you, you can line up all of the top Hebraists on the planet. 50% of them say it means replenish. 50% of them say it means plenish because it could mean either one. And I thought, well, this was just a great waste of time. And the Holy Spirit said, dig deeper. Yes, sir. Dig a little deeper, and I begin looking at the historical etymology of Malay in the in the Hebrew Bible, and man, did I run into gold, because it also means to be consecrated as a priest. God consecrated Adam and Eve as priests in the earth. And then it means, later on, you find it in 1 Samuel, I think it's chapter 23, the use of this word, means to be fully armed as an army preparing for war. Adam was, was loaded for bear. But we, we find in the, in the book of Genesis, he laid down his, his shepherd's staff. Because literally, when you look at Malay in Hebrew, you can, by looking at the individual letters, you can interpret it this way. It is the shepherd's staff that can stop chaos. And when you look at Genesis 1-2, it, it is tohu and bohu. That I, when, and I, I've got a whole teaching on this. That... Uh, in, in the Hebrew, they they rhyme, but they're they're but it's not poetry, and it it actually violates Hebrew grammar in its usage in Genesis one two, until you realize that tohu and bohu were spirits. It was chaos and confusion that caused all this on the earth, and so God steps in. It's contained by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is hovering over the earth. Then God terra, terraforms the earth, re, you know, fixes it, fixes the damage that was done, creates Adam and Eve, and has, has Adam a staff that has the power to stop chaos. I mean, that won't preach all day long, but he laid it down. Now you know why Jesus called himself the good shepherd, because the first shepherd laid down his staff of authority the last Adam came and functioned properly in that authority, gave his life for the sheep 
so that he could save them. And when he resurrected, he said, all authority has been given unto me. When Jesus resurrected, not only did he have the shepherd's staff that he walked faithfully with in this life, he regained the shepherd's staff of Adam. And then he says, I'm going to have a priesthood in the earth. Because originally, when, when, when God delivered Israel out of, out of Egypt, he said, I want you to be a nation of priests. And the reason the tribe of Levi was chosen is because during this whole golden calf episode, they were the only tribe that refused to participate. And because of that, Israel as a nation lost the priesthood and it was given to the tribe of Levi. But in the New Testament, because God's plan was you're going to be a, a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests to me. And in the New Testament, that's exactly what we are. In fact, in the King James, where it calls us kings and priests, it is there is an error in the translation. And I, and I quote Greek scholars that say that very thing. It should be interpreted a kingdom of priests. And to understand what that priesthood is, you got to take the Aaronic priesthood, which ministered to God, the Levitical priesthood, which ministered to the people, wrapped them in the ministry of Jesus, and see that thing empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you know what you and I are called to. And that's the right and, and purpose of every believer. In fact, until you learn your priest, and this, this, I think this is part of the problem with those in the fivefold ministry, is until you answer the call to the priesthood, you cannot really move as a pastor. Until you answer the call of the priesthood, you can't be an apostle, an apostle you know, uh, evangelist or prophet or, 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 or teacher, because all of us, we can only find our true purpose in God on the other side of learning to function in that priesthood. That's why the, the church is, uh, there is such discontentment in the church is because we can't discover our destiny until we start walking in the priesthood. Amen. And and so I, when you said destiny, it reminds me of the scroll and, uh, you know, and the seven seals. Yeah, um, the scroll of destiny. Yes, the scroll of destiny, absolutely. And uh, so... You're right. I think we've forgotten and lost that role of priest. Uh, that, but what? How does that affect your life as a believer when you don't understand being a priest? I, I know what I believe, but I think this is so important for our listeners to understand. When you don't understand your role as a priest, it it messes up your walk with God. It makes you ineffectual. Uh, it makes you complacent. It, it makes you give up. It makes you become a spectator. Uh, that That's why Greco-Roman theater works so good in the normal church is because everybody's a spectator. And they, they go and, you know, it's like watching a two-hour show. You get a little entertainment. You get a little encouraging words. You get a pat on the back. And uh, they do everything, but you know there may be ones to give popcorn out too. I don't know, but you have you have everything of Greek theater there. In fact, the brother, many denominations not only do they leave the hymn hymnals uh, in the church in the you know in with the, with the pews, they leave their Bibles there too. And we we got we got a kick out of that mentality. Each one of us are are a are, are a priest. And a watchman over our own houses. Each one of us have that purpose, and we have that call of God to move in the fire of God and so much more. Well, that's what I wanted you to share with us. What does that mean when you keep talking about moving in the fire of God? There, there's fire in all three chambers of, of the tabernacle. And what's interesting is the tabernacle is the universal template in the word of God, that there's three heavens. Uh, the third heaven is the Holy of Holies. The second heaven is the holy place. And the first heaven that we call the flesh is, is uh, the outer court. Well, that's all built within because we were called to function in all three. And the fire of God has got to be there. The fire of God first is burning off the flesh. I go to the word and the word shows me where I have fallen short of the glory of God and, and things I need. And even after you're saved, man, we got, we, you know, we got a lot of repenting to do. 
because we were still trained by the world. I don't care if you're raised in church your whole life. You're still trained by the world. And so even after you get saved, the Holy Spirit is constantly showing you, you need to repent of this. Let me consume it in the fire of my judgment and set you free. And then you come back into the word because you know, they, they start at the labor. They wash their hands and their feet. They go. And one of the interesting things about the brazen altar, brother, it's not a barbecue. You don't allow it to set on there long enough so that your sin can have that smoky flavor that you love. Okay. It's got to be consumed to ash. And what I have found is the real sins in our life, for believers after they're saved, the real things we struggle with is when we get them on the altar, they will cry out to us and say, you need me. It's, it's me that gets you through the day. That's why there's four horns on the altar. Sometimes you got to tie it down and let the fire of God consume it until there's nothing but ash. Then when you go back to the brazen labor, you're washing your hands, you're washing your feet, which even the dust, the ash of what you have been set free with is now washed off you by the word. But now in the word, and only then can we see ourselves as we are in Christ in that area of our lives. And once, once you see it, once you really see it, you can live it. Praise God. You know, that reminds me of the three men in the fiery furnace, folks. The only thing that was burned on them was the bondage of the world that bound them, the ropes around their hands and their feet. And that's what I believe that the, all, the that fire you're talking about, uh, Dr. Lake, it is to release us from the bondage of the sin in this world. Folks, it's not that God wants to harm us. That's not it. He wants to free us. And yeah. that that burning is to release us from that which holds us so fast to the sin that so easily besets us in this world. Um, that was powerful analogy, Dr. Uh, Lake, of the, what you're sharing there. I need to let that soak in a little bit. <laughs> I have a passion for these things. You know, once you do the appropriate amount of outer court work, then you can begin moving in the inner court. And what's interesting is when you look at the priesthood, they would have circuits. So, you know, there's a lot of work in the outer court. Then you go work some in the inner court, and, and, and then the high priest would get into the holy of holies. But then you a lot of times you'd have to go back out and work in the outer court. It, it's called the process of sanctification. <clears throat> but in the in the inner court, the holy place is a place of fellowship. That under the the brokenness that occurred in the outer court, that's what creates the oil that fuels the lamp in the holy place. That's why I said before, there's a lot of people saying they have revelation, but it doesn't come out of their brokenness in God. And it's strange fire. And we have the table of showbread, which is the table of fellowship. And you start fellowshipping with Jesus and the Holy Spirit is this beginning. Those are those times of just uh, intense learning from the word of God and then having God unscramble your brain to, to be renewed by the word of God, that transformation that takes place, that you're growing in leaps and bounds and you're fellowshipping with Jesus. And then What's interesting is there's a third piece in the holy place. It's called the altar of incense. And that incense has to catch fire, too. And the altar of incense catches fire, not from the fire of your desire, but from the fire of the fellowship with Jesus. That he can start praying through you. You know, there's, there's a transition. And I, I've seen this in and uh, mature believers, and I've, I've read it, many, and I love reading many of the old greats in, in, in the kingdom of God. You know, when you first get saved, it, you, all your prayers about me, 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 just like a little child, you know. They cry because they're hungry, they need to be changed, or they're bored, or whatever. But there's a transition to where any anymore, there's a lot of my own life. When I pray, I'm standing in my authority, 
I'm making sure the enemy is, you know, is taken care of that he's bound in my life. And I'm, I'm making sure that by what I do, what I, what I think, what I say, and what I do either opens doors to God or opens doors to the devil. Repentance closes doors to, to the devil and then doing opens doors to God. And so, you know, you get to the place where you have all these doors open to God and very little open to the devil. And anymore, for, for me, at least in, in this place in my life, it's, it's, God, you know what I have need of, and so I'm just trusting you to do it. But my heart is for where the body of Christ is. My heart is for, and it, it's like you you have lost self at the altar of incense, and now you're interceding for the rest of the world. You're interceding for brothers and sisters that we have giving our lives, giving their lives for Jesus overseas or, or the missionaries or the, the friend down the street. And there's just so much heartache and just so much need. And, and you begin interceding for them at that moment when you, when you transcend self and Jesus is actually able to pray through you. You're part of his body and he's praying through you. And it's this, I want to pray the will of the king into the earth and into the lives of my friends, into the lives of my family, into the lives of those that don't even know who I am, but they need Jesus. The book of Hebrews says that that altar of incense is taken from the holy place and moved into the holy of holies. And brother, that's the only way that you can get there. Amen. And all of a sudden, you become this worshiper that just uh, you you can't you can't satiate that that need to just to worship and adore the Creator of the universe. Amen. That new and living way. Hallelujah. Yeah, and that's what brings the fire of God over the altar of God, the 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 Ark of the Covenant, which every one of us have on the inside. I'm I'm not worried about uh, you know. I think it was Jeremiah. Uh, that said that the ark would never be found, if I'm remembering right. But I want I want the ark within, with the fire of God over the top of it, because it represented the throne of God on the earth. And one of the the next book that I'm going to write, I'm not going to have a chance to start it. I don't think until next summer is going to be called the Kingdom Warrior, because only in the fire that's over the throne of God and a yielded vessel that has laying face first, before, you know, uh, prostrate uh, before God. Only in that kind of fire can a true warrior be forged. Hmm. Amen. And, and I, I would like to, if we could, to go in that, uh, talk about that, because um, it reminds me of a person in the Bible. But, uh, folks, if you think about what Dr. Lake was just talking about and that pathway in, the way we go to the Lord is the way he came to us. If you think about it, Jesus, when he said in, in John chapter 17, that uh, that he would that said, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So Jesus, he comes from the most holy place. He was with the Father. He comes into the table, you know, into the uh, to the holy place, from the most holy to the holy place, where he was eating the table of showbread, the word filled with the spirit. And there's a lot of different depth. And the altar of incense is a, you know, as a young kid by the age 12, he was blowing the scholars' minds, you know. And then he he goes out and he's he's washed in the in the laver, baptized by John the Baptist. Out gives his life on the altar, the sacrificial altar. And he's buried outside the gate. And and we, Dr. Lake, we're coming right back the same way Jesus came to the earth. We're going back to the Father in the opposite direction. From outside, back through, and ultimately we want to end up in the most holy place where we hear the very voice of God. And, and man, you know, if you ever get there to where you're really having that holy of holy experience, two things I have found that, that happened for me personally. One is time becomes irrelevant. And what I mean by that is there have been times I thought I had been an hour or two with God. And I mean, he poured so much into me that it's like, okay, uh, I think the day has gone away and, and, uh, and you know, you, you exit your prayer closet and find out you were in there at least a half hour. 
And then there were times I thought I was in there a half hour and I was there for hours. Because it's like, you know, that's that's how that Moses went up 40 days. I don't think it may have even felt like 40 days to him. You know, there's, there's this there's this dilation of time thing goes on when you get so caught up with God. But one of the things that God really began to, to share with me, and I, I hinted this at the end of the book, and he kept on bringing up the word Ronin. And I'm thinking, okay, I remember as a kid reading comments that there was Ronan the Accuser, you know, that – uh, from the DC or that or the Marvel comics, and I was, I'm thinking, well, that I don't think God's referring to Marvel comics. <laughs> and so I, I look up the word, and it, it was actually used in China, and it meant a warrior without a master. And he said, if you don't enter the in the priesthood and do the work right, and you try to do spiritual warfare, you ha- you run into the danger of becoming a Ronin. That all your spiritual warfare is so that you can enhance your carnality. It's about self rather than about being sent on a mission from God. And and, go ahead, no, brother. No, no, I mean, no, no, that's uh, that 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 hit me deep because you're right. How easily we can lose sight and forget who our master is. Yeah. And take upon. You know, we talk about our authority in Christ. Well, our the authority, folks, that comes from the Lord that he gives, it is his authority he gives to us. It's not our own personal, meaning devo- absent from God. Yet I know a lot of people who take that authority and they make it truly their own authority. And and that's not the authority that's that the Lord has given us. Well, it, it, ends up, it ends up like with the, the prayer life we see with the people in the book of James. James says, you know, you pray and you get not because you'll consume it in your own lust. And it, it causes us to transform scriptures to say things they don't say. Ephesians 6, the principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and, and spiritual wickedness or the iniquity force in, in heavenly places, is not learning how to fight to get your stuff back from the devil. It's learning how to withstand the culture around you that's trying to draw you from God that these beings control. Because you you can't take the book of Ephesians and separate it from the uh, from the missionary journey of the Apostle Paul to Ephesus, which occurred years before. And I mean, Paul wasn't there when you when you look at this. I thought you know that you know they had the big riot it records in the book of Acts, and if it hadn't been for one guy that they would have went through the city of Ephesus and killed every believer in it. I thought that was like later on, you know, just kind of remembering off the top of my head, you know, maybe it was later on. I researched it. He'd only been there about a month. But he had stepped into a place. Ephesus was a city that was over a thousand years old that had its genesis in goddess worship, not just goddess worship, they believe the Amazon women founded that city because Gaia, the mother, the, the mother spirit, mother nature, was birthed near that place. And so it was a big mammoth principality that almost crushed them and turned the entire culture against them. And Paul was aware of that when he wrote the book of Ephesians. And he said, listen, our problem isn't with people. Our problem is with the principalities and powers that control the culture, that control every aspect of that society. And if you don't realize that you wrestle with them every day, you're going to find yourself with that thing with its foot across the back of your neck and you're helpless. That's what he was sharing in Ephesians chapter 6. And we have too many in the church that are in a love affair with culture instead of being the, the ultimate counter culture on planet earth. Mm, that's so true. And, and uh, Dr. Lake, we've got about six, seven minutes left here. Um, I, I want to kind of finish with this end time warrior uh, priest that we talk about, because when you mention that there's one priest in the Bible besides the Lord, which we know is the ultimate warrior. Um, but there's a priest in the Bible who was a warrior and that was Zadok. And a lot of people don't understand that Zadok was a mighty man of valor. It's yes. in uh, Second Chronicles chapter 12 and, and verse uh, 28. 
and he was a warrior. And, and the interesting thing was when it came time when Zadok could have followed, you know, the younger son of Adonijah, he stood strong and faithful to the king. Yeah. And and he to me, he is the he is what a warrior priest is all about. He stays loyal to the king. Yeah. Just as we stay loyal. Um, what, how does this warrior priest, what, what is that? What do you mean by that? I know you started to touch on that for the end times that God's calling us to. Well, even God, correct. Because I mean, warrior priest just flows off the lips, you know, warrior priest. And God said, no, he said, priest warrior. You have to become a priest first. Amen. And it's, it's when that priest has really fulfilled and, and has experienced the presence of the king can he depart into the world and represent that king and lay self down? You know, and I think of some of our special forces, and I, I know I've heard rumors uh, that Delta uh, within the Army does this, and I, I wouldn't, and I've never, I've, I've had some friends that were uh, team members with Navy SEALs, but I never thought to ask him this question. But the day that uh, you became a Delta in the Army, from, from what I have heard, is you packed a uh, body bag in your backpack because that day you died and now you're, you're living to do whatever needs to be done to protect the country. And when I thought of that, that, but that, that, you know, there's, there's something about when you, you get to that Holy of Holy self died and there was a resurrection and this resurrection uh, is kind of like there, there was a a story that Henry Groover one time told and, this guy threatened his life. He ended up, you know, on a prayer walk. He ended up down a dark alley, and this guy says, "Man, I'm gonna kill you." And Henry looked at him and says, "You can't. I'm already dead. Freak the guy out, <laughs> you know." But there, there's something when we have died to self that you, there, there, you can't have the resurrected life, the 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 life that comes in Christ until there's a, a death to self. And that that's all a part of, of what the priesthood is about. There's there's this internal priesthood, and only when you get that right, you become effective on the outside. And then you, you have a warrior uh, in the heat of battle. You have somebody fighting for themselves, and they'll get to a point in the battle to where they'll turn and run. When you have a soldier fighting for a cause, whether it's his country, his loved ones, his family. That's when you have a war that uh, that is hard to win because he's fighting for more than himself. And the devil knows this. When I am lost in Christ and I'm fighting for my king, and today I either live for him or I die for him, but it's all about him. That is a warrior the devil doesn't want to come up against very often because he's going to lose. Even if he would take this guy's life, the very act of, of martyrdom would cause the kingdom to flow in ways the devil can't control. So it ends up being a lose-lose situation for the devil. And I, I think that's where we're headed. I think we're headed to a Daniel, I think it's 1132, that in the midst of the height of the Antichrist power, there are going to be those that are intimate, that know their God, that are intimate with Almighty God. They have they have learned to function in the Holy of Holies. And what's interesting is in, the, in those verses, you have the Antichrist doing great exploits, but the Bible says they do great exploits, and it's literally the same Hebrew word, that these men and women in the last days, those that know their God, can move in the same level of supernatural power that the Antichrist can, except it's for Almighty God. So they end up being God's tier one operators in the kingdom. And those are people, because of the priesthood, they became intimate with God. And because of that, they became warriors that even the Antichrist had a real problem with. Wow. You know, uh, amen. And and that was, uh, you know, 
you, when you shared too about the uh, packing their body bags, um, I'm not sure about Delta. I was in the Marines and my old roommate was Force Recon. But uh, I want to share this little quick story with you as we close, Dr. Lake, because I think it fits with what you were sharing. Um, about a century ago, there was a band of brave souls. Uh, they had become known as the one-way missionaries. They purchased single tickets to the mission field without the return half. And instead of suitcases, they packed their few earthly belongings into coffins. Uh, as they sailed out of port, they waved goodbye to everyone they loved, everything they knew. They knew they'd never return home. Uh, A.W. Milne was one of those missionaries, Dr. Lake, and he set sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, knowing full well that the headhunters who lived there had martyred every missionary that had went before him. But Milne had, did not fear for his life because he had already died to himself. His coffin was packed. For 35 years, he lived among that tribe, and he loved them. When he died, they, the tribe members, they buried him, and they inscribed this on his uh, epitaph of his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. I, I feel God is calling us to pack our coffins. Yeah. You know, in the great Who Hut revival, but one of the cries that they had was everything they did was so that the lamb would receive the rewards of his suffering. And there was a story of a young man that wanted to get to this island, but this island was owned by this by this owner that only slaves were allowed on that island. He sold himself into slavery. A lifetime of slavery, not, you know, not five years and you get out, a lifetime of slavery. And as he got on the boat, had sold himself into slavery, he called to the believers on the on the on land, and as he was sailing off, he said, May the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. And when he got over there, he began to systematically lead every one of those slaves to Jesus. Oh, wow. Oh. You see, you know, everybody gets excited by, you know, I gave $10 down from plate next week. God gave me a new car. You know what? <laughs> when you start dealing with this kind of stuff and see life's changed, car did mean a thing. New house doesn't mean a thing. Doesn't mean a thing. But seeing people come out of darkness and begin walking with God, seeing people that had lost hope, seeing broken bodies mended and healed at the name of Jesus, seeing drug addiction end instantly. And I've seen that. That's what it's all about. Everything else is superfluous. You know, what God wants to give you, God will give you, God will bless you. But it's, it's no longer about stuff. It's about people. It's about seeing them grow, get set free and growing in God and finding out what the kingdom is really all about. Amen. You know, I, I, it touched me because uh, I was a drug addict for so long and you know, in 1999, I woke up, Dr. Lake, strung out on meth, cheating on my wife. My wife was leaving me. I didn't even know. I'd been so messed up for so many years, I couldn't even see right. And I came home that day, and to make a long story short, I met Jesus on the way home outside of church. I didn't even know how to get saved. And uh, I left that morning so strung out, and I got born again on the way home that day. And the other week, Dr. Lake, my stepsister, who I'd been around since kindergarten because my father was having an affair on my mother when I was a little kid, taking me with him. And uh, I knew this little girl I, before we were, they were even married, my stepmom and my dad. Uh, my dad got turned around, but my stepsister took many more years. She made me look like the perfect child, and I was I was hell on wheels. And the about a month ago, I was down at my dad's, and we went to a service on on Sabbath, and um, we stood there, and I had my arm around my sister and my father, 
as we cried because the preacher was talking about the lost coin. And we knew he had written that for all of us. And that's what God can do. He can save those who look unsavable. And Dr. Lake, I believe he's calling us to be his hands and his feet in this moment. And we are, I believe we have been born for such a time as this. Oh, absolutely, brother. Absolutely. So thank you for sharing that. Um, God is, is able to do, folks, the impossible. He is the God of impossibles, but sometimes you got to step out into the storm. Uh, so he can say, peace, be still and get out of the bottom of the boat. And, uh, so Dr. Lake, thank you for coming on Remnant Call. Uh, how can everybody keep track of what you're doing and keep up with what's going on in your ministry? Just go to kingdomintelligencebriefing.com and on the upper right hand side, there'll be a place where you can put your email address in and subscribe to that site. Any new post, whether we're, uh, an article New podcast, new video, new book, whatever, you'll get notified about it immediately through that via email. And that's the, the easiest way to, to keep track of what we're doing. Amen. Well, thank you so much for coming on here, Dr. Lay. God bless you and your family. Folks, keep fighting the good fight. Yes, these are dark days, but God has called us to shine brightly in the midst of darkness. This is Brother Frank and Dr. Michael Lake on the Remnant Call saying to everybody, good night and shalom. Trump